Sex. It's in the news today, along with the news that New Zealanders aren't very good at it. What? Well, well they're not, not very you. good at doing it safely, anyway. When did you last get an STI check? Never. Two or three weeks ago? Ooh, probably like three months ago. Like eight months ago? Five years ago. It was last year, actually. Are you worried about if you might have something or like passing something on to someone else? Oh, now I am, now that you mention it. <laughs> Kia ora, I'm Sarah Robson, and today on The Detail, case numbers are increasing, and I'm not talking about COVID-19. Syphilis cases are on the rise here for the first time since 2019. Many see it as a disease from a bygone era, but syphilis is very much a modern-day problem here in New Zealand. We're particularly concerned about syphilis because of the devastating effects on pregnant women and babies. And we know this is just the tip of the iceberg due to under-testing. There was a 41% increase in syphilis cases in the second half of last year. And other sexually transmitted infections like gonorrhea and chlamydia are on the up too. Part of the problem... Inequitable access to primary health care partly to blame, as well as low testing rates across the board. For most appointments, it will be several weeks. What if people could test themselves from the comfort of their own home? That would be so much easier. I'm not sure why they don't do that. I honestly don't see why that hasn't happened sooner. Yeah, kind of like self-COVID tests, right? I think that's like the direction we should definitely be moving into. But... In order to do that, we need proper programs. So if you test positive for syphilis, what are you going to do about it? You don't want to just sit in your house and go, oh no. What's behind the uptick in STIs? And could we use the lessons learned in the COVID-19 pandemic to improve access to sexual health services. Dr Beth Messenger has been working at Family Planning for 17 years. For the past five years, she's been the organisation's national medical advisor. She explains why, after a couple of years of decline, STI cases are rising again. So I think there's probably two things. One is that with the end of restrictions, it's easier for people to get out and about and connect with people. But also during COVID, especially early on, STI testing was really restricted. And in in fact, we went through a period of time where effectively you couldn't request um, certainly swabs because it was the same test kit that they were using for COVID. And, you know, just generally trying to reduce any other um, aspect of healthcare as much as was possible except for people with symptoms. And, of course, a lot of STIs have no symptoms. So the only way we find them is by screening people who have been at risk. Why is the increase in syphilis cases in particular so concerning? It's a really serious infection when it's not treated. When it lasts within somebody's system over a long period of time, it can be um, very damaging to pretty much any... um, of the body's organ systems. So um, it can damage the aorta coming out of the heart, can cause um, brain damage. I guess any time we see a rise in numbers, we're always worried about the infections that we haven't yet seen and treated. And of serious concern, six babies born with syphilis in 2022. It's a bit of an indicator that things are not well in our health system. How so? So we should be aiming for zero congenital syphilis cases. Syphilis testing is routine in pregnancy, but it's usually done early on. So if we're getting congenital syphilis cases, it's either 
somebody who hasn't accessed healthcare, which happens in in some of those situations. And we know there are a lot of barriers to healthcare. Sometimes it's that they got syphilis at the same time they got pregnant and the pregnancy shows up faster than the syphilis. So that early blood test is negative, which seems reassuring, but actually if it had been delayed by another few weeks, it might have been positive. And of course, then sometimes the syphilis is contracted later in the pregnancy. But the consequences aren't just for the mother, they're also for the baby. So it can result in birth defects and miscarriage. Why have STIs sort of slipped away from our radars? Well, I think we got very distracted with COVID for a start. So I trained in London and syphilis was... We we were taught about syphilis as as a a thing of the past that we might occasionally come across in someone, you know, who had a long-standing, unrecognised syphilis infection, but it was not particularly something that was thought of, you know, or frequently tested, even in the the sexual health clinics. And so we've probably got a, a generation of health professionals who aren't necessarily thinking about STIs unless that's their specific role. And are there groups that are more at risk than others? Young people uh, under 25s are considered to be at higher risk, uh, probably because many of them don't have regular partners, so we'll have more new partners. Men who have sex with men considered to be at, at higher risk. There are other sort of priority groups that have been identified, um, so including um, Māori and Pacific Island groups. While it's helpful to identify at-risk groups, it's not the be-all and end-all. Take the new syphilis cases. A large proportion of them are women, and one of the biggest demographic spikes has been in people over 30. We tend to think about risk and risk factors, and um, so with STIs, you know, the, the more sex you have with different people, the greater risk you have of having an STI. But infections don't think about it in In terms of risk, they think about it in terms of opportunity. So, you know, arguably, if someone's ever had sex with anyone, then they have a chance of having an STI. And if they're not tested, then they wouldn't know. Um, And we see that with um, people coming in for ECP, sometimes an emergency contraceptive pill. And if they've had unprotected sex, they'll immediately think there could be a risk of pregnancy. But when you say, was this a new partner, you know, should we be thinking about STI risk? That's very often not something that, that they were thinking about. What are some of the barriers to people getting tested at the moment? The vast majority of testing is still requested through a health practitioner. So that would be um, obviously uh, family planning, sexual health clinics, general practice, youth health service. But certainly in primary care, you have to get to an appointment. There may be a charge, particularly for um, people who are over 25. There can be a wait in order to get appointments um, because of just the general pressure on the health service at the moment. People who are non-resident, they really have a cost barrier in terms of accessing service because they have to pay for the appointment and they have to pay for the laboratory testing. At the moment, if someone's wanting to access family planning services, are you waiting weeks at the moment for an appointment? For most appointments, it will be several weeks. There are drop-in appointments at most of our clinics. Routine services are waiting weeks and really quite a lot of weeks in some areas for some more complex services. It's not always easy to just roll up and get an STI check. 
No, and, and family planning offer a self-test, but it's just a test for chlamydia and gonorrhea at the moment. Um, so people with a vagina can do a, a vaginal swab. Uh, people with a penis will do a urine sample. And just to be clear here, someone self-testing isn't seen by a clinician at all. They hand their sample over and go. It's not the ideal test for people who have symptoms or for people who have um, a oral anal sex and we're not testing for um, syphilis or HIV um, in that screen at all. But it is easy to access because they can come into the clinic, um, really short questionnaire and then they collect their sample there and in some areas we actually just organise for them to go to the lab, they don't even come into the clinic. And have you got good follow-through in terms of people accessing that treatment, doing the things that clinicians are telling them to do? The vast majority of people were able to follow up and organise their treatment reasonably easily. They, of course, were motivated enough to come and get a test in the first place. There are a small number of people who we find it very, very difficult to get hold of again. So um, even though they were concerned enough to do a test, we can't always then get hold of them to treat them. Um, we usually uh, have an alert that goes onto their file so that if they then contact us for anything, um, that this is, this is flagged up as something that needs to be discussed with them in that phone call. I, mean, I guess that's sort of one of the trade-offs. Um, and I imagine family planning's in a really difficult sort of position you know you pressure in terms of being able to get an appointment so you want people to get the tests but there's so much value in a face-to-face conversation with someone but also you just want to get you want to get the people tested so yeah a bit of a bind in a way yes I mean it's it's a challenge I mean having having options for how to access healthcare is great but The more pressure there is to get a face-to-face appointment, the more likely somebody is to go, well, actually, I'm going to just do the self-test. But they don't have a a full discussion. Um, We don't have the opportunity of establishing, you know, whether we're particularly concerned about them having an STI. We've talked a lot about whether we should be offering syphilis and HIV screening through the self-test. And the reason we haven't done that yet is because we're concerned about health literacy. And so the the level of um, information that you need to give a person for them to be able to make a decision about whether a test is appropriate for them, but also how you then follow up that test becomes more complicated. There's a bunch of stuff you need to know before you choose to do a self-test. But COVID-19 and the advent of rapid antigen tests has really changed the game. It's now so normal to be able to test at home, we expect we should be able to for, well, everything. Dr Gary McAuliffe, a clinical microbiologist based in Auckland, has been looking at whether we can apply some of this thinking and technology to testing for STIs. What we saw before COVID was the onus was really on people to be patients and those patients to go into their treatment provider and that might be a general practitioner, it might be family planning or it might be sexual health. They would get often the swabs done then or the blood test done then or a form for the blood test done which they would have later and all of the results and the treatment would be packaged up around that appointment. COVID kind of disrupted that. What we've seen with COVID with rapid antigen testing for example 
is that people can do those at home. That focus on people doing it has scaled up the ability to do infectious diseases testing. So as you know, in laboratories, we were struggling with the volume of COVID tests that we had to do during the Omicron uh, outbreak. But by bringing that out to the people, you could scale up 10, 100 times the amount you could do. It's similar with sexual health testing. Some examples, the Burnett Foundation and Aotearoa, prior to COVID, were sending out self-testing kits for HIV um, to people with good uptake. And they also uh, do outreach testing in um, sex and site venues as well as in tertiary institutions. So this is free HIV testing either in people's homes or in places that they can get to easily and they don't have to have those tricky conversations. It's accessible. Yeah. How widespread are these sorts of initiatives at the moment? Not so much. I think that that's the opportunity that we've got. When somebody is presenting for a sexual health check, as part of that, some tests are done. We call it a bundle. So this would be syphilis and HIV. Now, they are blood tests. Then we do swabs for chlamydia, and gonorrhea is part of that as well. So chlamydia and gonorrhea swabs, HIV and syphilis blood test. Now, traditionally, those swabs would have been done by the doctor or nurse who is seeing the patient. But in the last five years, we know that it's fine if the patient does them themselves. And so that means that actually we can say, here is a form, or here is a kit. Go and do it yourself. And the next step, ordering the testing kit online. And you can give it back to us, or you can post it back. So scaling that up is a potential if we've got the ability to get people who might be more at risk of um, sexually transmitted infections having testing closer to home. There are a few different quick tests already in use. So the Aura Quick Test that the Burnett Foundation use takes 10 minutes, saliva-based, so no no blood, no pain. (laughs) But the point-of-care HIV and syphilis tests, which are also in use in outreach situations, can be done within a minute. So they require a little prick with a a lancet usually, which comes supplied with the kit. You drip probably three drips of blood onto the um, equipment and it gives you the instructions and that result will be available in a minute. These are all intended for people who don't have symptoms. So it's a well sexual health Mm. check rather Mm. than wondering if the the pus that's coming out of your penis, for example, is uh, a sign of a sexually transmitted infection. In terms of the self-testing for STIs, is New Zealand behind the ball? Are other countries already doing this in a much more widespread way? So that's an interesting question. So one of the issues that's come up has been COVID that that, that got in the way of this. I know that this has been well established in the UK over the last five to ten years. So there is a a national service called SH24, that provides free testing, not to every place in the UK, but to many of the of, of the counties or the the equivalent of our healthcare areas, and separately in London. And there's a an arm of that company that is a a commercial side which provides the um, ability to do the same packages in those areas that are not covered by. Uh, free at point of care testing. 
Other countries, not so much. So I think the UK is a one of the world leaders in in this. And as a small country, New Zealand, with a very well integrated healthcare system, I think we've got a good opportunity to do something similar here as well. What are some of the risks involved here, particularly in terms of someone getting a self-test kit at home, but not actually getting the follow-up care or treatment that they need? How do you ensure that happens? So I think that's a really good point. If we're talking about you, you doing your own test, like a rapid antigen test, then there are risks that there might be a false positive result or a false negative result. That's where, obviously, you don't pick up someone who's got infection or you wrongly say that someone does have infection when they don't. And these are complicated by the fact that syphilis, for example, if you've ever had infection with syphilis, you may test positive right. on there. So that just means that if you know you've had syphilis before, the tests aren't that useful, but they're usually combined with HIV, and so that part of the test is still useful. These risks, really, I think that's explanation and resources for the patient at the time and really good linkage into support and treatment afterwards. Because that's the thing, STIs, they're easily detected, the tests are readily available, they're also fairly easily treated in terms of chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, but you've got to get to that treatment point or you've got to get to the testing point before you get to the treatment point. That's the really key thing there, which is if we don't get people tested, then getting them to that next point is the problem. And so we know, so we can talk and we can say that it would be ideal if this group of um, young people have testing at, at the general practitioner or at family planning or at sexual health. But what about those people who won't for whatever reason? Um, we can put resources in to let them know that this is part of their care. We can talk to the GPs and, and make sure that they are aware that this is part of their care. But what about, I don't know how many percentage of, of people who aren't coming forward for the sexual health checks? And that's where I think these other um, options may potentially come in useful relevant to your question that, that, that we've kind of got away from with, you know, what are the risks? So, for example, with the swabs or a blood form, and that's the core part of online STI testing that was rolled out in New Zealand at the moment, those results are laboratory. They are, you know, as good as can get. But as you start to come back to the patient with more instantaneous results, and we we're talking about a minute for the HIV syphilis blood test combination, then the accuracy of the results does reduce a bit because we're making that fine balance. So HIV, for example, performs very well for established HIV, but not if you're in the window period, which is obviously that period between when you are infected or, and, and become symptomatic or when you've got early infection. For syphilis, it isn't perfect, the test. Um, it might miss a third of infections, but... Again, that's more likely when you're early on or late in the infection. And what I would want to see is as part of any program is that we take that into account. So we're looking to get people who probably are at less risk but are not coming forward for testing and saying this is 
this is good that we're getting you tested. We recognise there's a little bit of a risk that we might have missed something here. Mm. But it's the same with rapid antigen testing. I was about to say it's the difference between a rat and a PCR test. got into the habit of online shopping, getting things delivered to our door. I mean, should we be really taking advantage of this and you know, putting it out there? Hey, you can order this online, get it delivered to your door. Is this a way to sell it? In order to do that, we need proper programs. So if you test positive for syphilis, what are you going to do about it? You don't want to just sit in your house and go, oh no. We want to be able to go link you into care and by care that might be your general practitioner, or it might be a sexual health clinic or a family planning clinic, they will need the resources because we will be picking up lots more people with um, sexually transmitted infections than we are at the moment because we'll be casting the net wider and finding more cases. So that is the main barrier, is working through how this could be done as a system to make sure that we've got good treatment outcomes for people and that they're not left with results that they are scared about. Because you can't roll out mass testing and not have the resources at the other end to actually deal with the cases that you find. Correct. How do we normalise people just going getting a regular STI check? We just need to be talking about it way more often. Probably. I mean, I think for health providers asking regularly, particularly younger patients, you know, whatever they're seeing them for, whether maybe an STI check is a good idea, even in a situation that's not not specifically related to sexual and reproductive health. So, I mean, it's, you know, easy um, at family planning um, for us to go, you know, you ought to be routinely offering an STI check. But I realise in other settings that's more difficult. But if the conversation is started by the health provider, it makes it much easier for somebody to respond to if they kind of had a, a you know a little niggly concern that wasn't enough for them to make an appointment but for them to go oh yes I could do that today while I'm here or oh yes actually I probably should come back but they've obviously got to access healthcare for something before we can normalize it through the health profession but there's so much evidence that good quality sexuality education you know, it delays sexual debut, increases uh, contraception use, decreases pregnancies and STI rates. There has to be a, a focus on providing that education and early if we're going to normalise these conversations. That's it for today. I'm Sarah Robson. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge and produced by Bonnie Harrison and Liz Garten. Thanks to Dr Beth Messenger and Dr Gary McAuliffe. Ka kite anō.